Luke 22, 1-48 Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Matthew twenty-six fifty-seven. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face, and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he said that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. Welcome everyone to episode 12 of the Higher Calling podcast, presented by the Avondale Church of God. We left off in our last episode 10, talking about sacrifices and offerings and the roles and responsibilities of a priest by reading through the story of King Hezekiah's reign. Hopefully that conversation paved the way for this topic, which is the long-anticipated Hebrews 7. Some key points included in Hebrews chapter 7 are 1. Christ compared to Melchizedek. 2. Perfection possible due to a priesthood after the order of an eternal life. 3. The law being disannulled. And 4. The effectual ministry of Christ, who does not need to make sacrifices for sins. I'm Ian Doughty. And I'm David Doughty. As we get into the next few chapters here in Hebrews, we are leaning pretty heavily into Christ's role and responsibilities as the Word of God, sitting at the right hand of power, as described in our opening text. Get a sense here of Jesus before the council in the high priest's palace, really letting the high priest know that their roles were shortly to be reversed, as Christ was the true high priest. Indeed, not of the lineage of Aaron, as we're about to read here in Hebrews 7, but after a higher calling, 
the order of Melchizedek. And the high priest there, looking at Jesus, was really letting his office down by looking for someone to come along with a convincing enough lie to tell so that they could have something tangible to give credibility to what they were doing. Then with Judas and the chief priests, their job was to act as intercessors between the people and God, to offer the sacrifices and incense to atone for the sins of the people. And Judas, having an evil spirit, communed with them. And surely the same spirit, and many worse, were already in the chief priests. Then Judas went and did his part, earning the thirty pieces of silver. And then afterwards it says he repented himself, went back to the same priests who had a duty to help him spiritually, and the response was, well, what is that to us? Surely in today's mainstream religions, in an effort to have religion that is popular with the masses, the same thing is happening all the time when people go to their Lutheran priests or Catholic priests or Baptist ministers and hear the message that there is no deliverance from sins. So, without further ado, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So this story is coming from Genesis chapter 14, and it gives us a sense that we are participating in worship rituals that predate the law of Moses. The themes here in this chapter are bedrock concepts that are as old as time, literally, concerning the greatness of Melchizedek, after whose order Christ is a high priest. The Levites had authority to take tithes of the people, yet Abraham, their representative, paid tithes to Melchizedek. We've talked about this in the past in Hebrews 5 and 6, that the Levitical priesthood had rituals that were built on top of the precedent traditions practiced by the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's kind of a humbling feeling of awe and worship to know when we pay our tithes, and fulfilling the plan of God, that we're going through some of the same motions that they did five or six thousand years ago. This introduces an interesting consideration, the unchanging values of God. Today, popular contemporary religion proposes that the blood of Jesus absolves a believer from the responsibilities and practices of the Bible by covering all past, present, and future sins, as they say. For one, This isn't supported by the scriptures, and it also ignores a basic principle that is taught in Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not. The practice of Abraham to pay tithe to Melchizedek was based on a value of God that is immutable and unchanging. The same can be said for other religious practices based on the values we see in scriptures, regardless of the dispensation they were under. Some other examples that are demonstrated in all dispensations, including the Adamic, Abrahamic, and Christian are offering your best, pure and perfect sacrifice, modest dress, sin produces death, obedience is better than sacrifice, respect is paid to parents, and so on. 
It is essential that the Christian ask themselves, not so much, am I living up to the minimum tenets of my faith, but rather, does my daily walk live out the values of a godly life? Hebrews 7, 5 through 10. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descendant is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. We know the prophecy in Psalm 110 of the order of Melchizedek, which we understand now, after the coming of Christ, to intentionally not be of the Levitical priesthood. The law of works of the flesh could never result in moral perfection through the Mosaic law. However, some works are critical to the plan of God to support a dedicated ministry, tithing predating the law, and certainly not one of the ordinances that were nailed to the cross and fulfilled. Whether the tithe is a tenth of crops or a tenth of a salary, when administered properly, it will care for the many needs of a local congregation. And when blessed by God, the average dollar, euro, or peso will stretch much further than normal. We've seen many resources last beyond their typical useful life, like Elijah and the Zephyrath woman, Caleb's sandals and clothing through the wilderness, and the young lad's five loaves and two fishes. God is able to do a lot with just a little. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's beautiful representation of our spiritual walk with God. Constantly through the scriptures, there's a comparison of the things of the world, such as our bodies and human motivations, and the things of God, which are eternal. God hates the works of the flesh, and our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. The exact same imagery is happening here, comparing the Levitical priesthood, which was imperfect, having the offices filled with human beings, and that Jesus' priesthood was built after the fashion of someone who had no birth and no death and was not flawed in this human carnal way. Let's carry on reading here. Verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, 
But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, when he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's? For this he did once, when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. You know, it's a good feeling to have that confidence that we are in good hands. Hands of someone that isn't going to be corrupted through the love of money or the praise of men, who isn't interested in in compromising the truth. Spending some time in this spot, going back to verse 26, this word became here isn't referring to the sense that Jesus became a human. Rather, it's talking about suitability. Sometimes you might hear of someone's conduct or clothing being unbecoming or becoming to a Christian. That's what this adjective is, an expression of suitability. The attributes of Christ make him fit to be the type of high priest that can change our nature, give us the power to put off the works of the flesh, and to put on the spiritual man. Romans chapter 8 is an excellent chapter that continues to build out this idea, which you can read on your own as homework. Well, we'll finish this podcast up with a verse actually from Romans uh, 7, verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that is the essence of Christianity and the departure from Judaism and the Mosaic law. The garments that the law required, the ordinances of the law, could not keep the practitioners holy. Rules and regulations are works of the flesh and not of faith. Attributes of holiness, love, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost are fruits of the Spirit and are most assuredly related to conduct of holy life of faith. We won't get into more of that at the moment, but the next two chapters in Hebrews continue to restate some of these concepts in different ways, really driving home the idea that a religion based on works and laws is completely dead. And with that, we'll wrap up this podcast. It's been a pleasure, and we trust that you found the discussion both challenging and encouraging. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have any comments or would like to contact us for any other reason, please visit www.csinning.com or email us at biblestudy at avondalecog.org. We'd love to hear from our audience and would be happy to further any discussion or pray for a need you may be experiencing. See you next time on The Higher Calling, presented by the Avondale Church of God.